Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. Actually, a couple weeks ago when I was doing research for my story, I had an idea of what I wanted to do. And I started to research it. And as I got into the story, something caught my eye and it took me down an entirely different path. Rabbit holes. Absolutely. So instead of telling you right offhand what I'm doing, I'm going to tell you the original story that brought me to what I'm doing tonight. Okay? Excellent. Awesome. Let's do this. The story I'm going to tell you about tonight is Mercy Brown and Nellie Vaughn. In 1892, 19-year-old Mercy Brown died of consumption, a.k.a. tuberculosis. Yes, yeah. She was the third member of her family to die of this disease, but of course they did not know what that is what she had died of back then because they didn't really know what it was. Um, Her mother, Mary Eliza, and her sister, Mary Olive, died first of it in 1886. Then in 1891, Mercy and her brother Edwin got sick. And back in those days, people did not know how disease was spread from person to person. They just simply believed that if multiple family members were dying, that it must obviously be because one of said family members was returning from the grave to snuff out the others at night. <laughs> that's the illogical yeah. conclusion that one might make. Of course. Then, that's why That's why. Like when you'd sneeze, they'd be like, oh, yeah. bless you. Yeah, exactly. They thought like a demon was yeah. in you or something, oh, right? Oh, dead Uncle John's coming back for you tonight. <laughs> You're totally screwed, right? So, a.k.a. the family had a vampire problem. In the Ah. Mercy Brown household. So what does one do when they have a vampire problem? Wear garlic. (laughs) That's right. They exhume the bodies of their dead relatives to determine which of these assholes is sucking the life force out of the rest of them, (laughs) causing them to get sick and die. That is how you handle a vampire problem in the late We knew it was Uncle George. We knew it. It's so clearly the case. Most of the time, it's the uncle that did it. So when they exhumed the bodies of Mary Eliza and her daughter, Mary Olive, and her other daughter, Mercy Brown, they found something highly unusual. Mary Eliza and Mary Olive were decomposing right on schedule, but Mercy was not. Mercy had not exhibited signs of decomposition, and she still had blood in her heart. Never mind that her mother and sister had been dead for years, and Mercy herself had only died a few months prior, plus her body had been kept in a freezing crypt above ground in the wintertime, um, uh. just after her death, which would have slowed the decomposition process right. anyway. But of course, they did not know that back in these days. Therefore, they concluded clearly, Mercy was determined to be the vampire of the family. So they quickly burned Mercy's heart and liver. They threw it in a martini mixer with some water, shook it up, and handed no, it to her no, poor brother. No. <laughs> okay, so I'm lying. They did not have a martini shaker, but that's probably the way I pictured it happening. Is like, yeah. you know, they take her ashes and they throw it together with some water. And they're, here, Edwin, drink this. This will save you. Right. <laughs> of course, because he's still alive and he's still very sick. For some reason, that remedy did not seem to help poor Edwin, and he died anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think drinking the guts of your deceased relative is going to help you. No, that's something that they had to learn the hard way, apparently. The remains of Mercy's body that were left were buried in a cemetery in Exeter, Rhode Island. So the reason I talk about this story is because it was super famous. 
Um, at the time that it happened, it was in the middle of the big vampire scare. And people were really thinking this was a legitimate thing. And international newspapers covered this event. Like everybody thought she legitimately was returning from the grave. And that she was a vampire. She was a vampire, regardless of the fact that she died after two of the victims of her family. Like the whole thing is very strange and it makes no sense whatsoever. But this is where the story of Nellie Vaughn comes into play. Nellie Vaughn was also a 19-year-old girl. She died of pneumonia, so she did not have the drama surrounding her death the way that Mercy Brown did. She also died in Rhode Island, but not in Exeter. She died in West Greenwich. Though she had nothing to do with vampires, her grave marker in her cemetery would frequently get vandalized and the headstone would get broken. Is there a reason for that? Why, you ask? Yes. (laughs) Holly, I'm asking. Is there a reason for this? There's a very good reason for this. Because it is believed that people got Nellie's gravestone mixed up with Mercy's. They were both the same age and died around the same time, but there was something in particular that made Nellie's gravestone stand out and most likely the reason people went after it. Whoa, Nellie. It re- exactly. <laughs> that would have been really appropriate for her gravestone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it read, Nellie Vaughn died March 31st, 1889 in the 19th year of her age. And right below that it says... I am waiting and watching for you. Ew. <laughs> Which is incredibly creepy. That is super creepy. It's like having a huge bullseye on your tombstone in the middle of a graveyard. Yeah, thanks, for Mom, people to for come putting and that attack on my, you, right? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Mom, for putting that on my tombstone. Exactly. It's just the creepiest thing. And so the speculation initially was the reason her tombstone was getting so badly vandalized was because people thought she was the vampire. But in fact, I think it has something to do with the fact that her gravestone says, I am waiting and watching yeah. for you, which is creepy as fuck. It's so like a threat It's like totally to the like living. A, it's like a total threat, right? Yeah. So when I read that, I was like, huh, I wonder what other creepy tombstones are out there. Exactly. Because initially I wanted to do vampires, but then I saw that and it threw a big monkey wrench into my entire plan. And I went down the creepy tombstone route. So that's yes. what we're talking about tonight is creepy awesome. fucking tombstones. Yes. Let's do this. If you go and you start Googling creepy tombstones, there's actually quite a few. <laughs> so I picked out some of the bigger ones that I found. Um, and uh, the first one I found, um, well, one of the first ones, was from the Training Institute of Central Ohio. They have a cemetery there, and it's also, this um, institution is also known as the Columbus State Hospital Asylum, and that is the cemetery for the insane asylum. There is a grave marker in this cemetery that just simply says, specimens. What? (laughs) Yes. And to better illustrate my point, and to those of you listening at home, this is a great time to grab your computer and Google specimens tombstone. The cemetery holds bodies of indigent patients of the Columbus State Hospital and unclaimed children who died at the nearby juvenile detention center. The institute was a maximum security facility for serious juvenile felony offenders. The National Criminal Justice Resource Center stated that the institute was an example of an institution that imposed substantial suffering and punishment on their inmates, including rapes, severe beatings by the guards, and children who were reportedly released but in actuality died there. No one knows what lies underneath the gravestones marked specimens. It is speculated that body parts that were removed during surgery for research may be buried there, or perhaps the bodies of some of the unwanted children are there. No one knows for sure. So it sounds like, yeah, they were experimenting on these kids. 
that's what could be the situation. So, you know, that really ups the creepy factor with that crazy And the stuff. fact that then they would like label their work. Like, yeah. we're proud of this. We're going to label it our specimens. It has to be something significant for them to even bother putting a tombstone there. Yeah. Maybe and somebody then, had a guilty conscience. I after. guess. But to say specimens means it didn't really have a lot of value because you're just going to throw something on there that says specimens. It's very strange. I suppose it could have been research animals. But even then, would you get a gravestone marker for research animals? Like, that doesn't make well, sense. No, you wouldn't. You would if it was your pet, right? But not yeah. a research animal. Yeah, it's just weird. I hope someday somebody... And it, yeah, and it's not a pet cemetery. And it's so. not a pet cemetery. Uh, I hope someday somebody in Ohio takes a shovel and breaks into that cemetery and just starts digging to see what's really under there. <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> I know. You could do it, Holly. <laughs> and if you do this in Ohio, please email us at firesidephantoms at gmail.com and tell us what you found. Okay. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> Because we can't travel right yeah. now. Yeah, we we are not going to go there on, on Halloween at midnight and dig up and get on a plane. On yeah, <laughs> yeah, with the coronavirus lurking around every corner. <laughs> no, thank you. The next um, gravestone marker is that of Lily E. Gray. She is buried in the Salt Lake City Cemetery. Her tombstone reads: Lily E. Gray, June 6, eighteen eighty one to November fourteenth, nineteen fifty eight, victim of the beast. Six six six. Ew. <laughs> no. Yes. No. So creepy weird. The speculation on this one is that her husband, who ordered the tombstone, had this inscription put onto it for a variety of reasons. One reason he did not get along with his wife's family and they kept him from her while she was dying. So I think he's implying that the beast they took her. Killed them. Um, maybe. He says another was that he suffered. Another reason was that he suffered from a mental illness in which he claimed he had been kidnapped by Democrats. What? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, her husband had some mental health issues and was willing to express how he felt on her tombstone forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> so. The dearly departed. It's <laughs> oh, so funny. Okay, so then. Uh, the next tombstone is actually somewhat funny and also very twisted. It is the tombstone of Herman Harband. He had his tombstone erected at the Beth David Memorial Gardens in Hollywood, Florida. And it reads, my wife, El and, and I swear to God, it, it, the whole tombstone has all of this on there because I can show you the photo that proves it. My wife, Eleanor Arthur of Queens, New York, lived like a princess for 20 years, traveling the world with the best of everything. When I went blind, she tried to poison me, took all of my money, all of my medication, <laughs> and left me in the dark alone and sick. It's a miracle I escaped. No. I won't see her in heaven because she'll surely, no. she's surely going to hell. He wrote like a not. <laughs> That's what he like, wrote. how expensive is this tombstone that he wrote is, all that on her grave? It is so epic in its revenge. It is so incredible to me. And... He had it put in this um, memorial gardens. And of course, I think it's funny that it says, it's a miracle I escaped. Well, clearly you didn't. You're dead. Yeah. Obviously, she got the best of you. And she then did. she had it removed from that, that graveyard. She had it taken out. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. It yeah. doesn't say anything about when he was born or when he died. No, they it's couldn't like fit it, that on there. It's like it doesn't matter. All he cares about is that everyone knows that his wife was a B.I. Yeah, isn't that she... funny? Yeah. So anyway, that is the tombstone of Herman Harband. The next one is uh, Timothy Clark Smith in the Evergreen Cemetery in New Haven, Vermont. 
is where this is at. It is believed that Timothy Clark Smith suffered from, and I hope I don't butcher this, but it's taphophobia, which is the fear of being buried alive. Timothy Clark Smith was a doctor, and he died in 1893. So he had a four-square-foot window built sitting six feet above his face at his burial site. He, <laughs> he had a capstone next to his burial mound that was a staircase that leads out of the grave, and he also was buried with a bell and an air tube. I guess you can go and look down that little hole, but because of all the years that have gone by, it's filled with sediment and you can't really see to the bottom anymore. But how creepy is that? And so he was just so paranoid that he would be buried yeah. and be, you know, That's still living. Some legitimate fear, right? Oh, there. yeah, because they used to do that. He took all of his money and said, let's just create this situation just in case I'm not actually dead. I'm just napping. That's why they had that tradition that you don't bury your dead until you have the wake. Right. And you, you wait for days and for they day- lay there to see if they're going to wake up. Right. Right. Yeah. And then you have the people whose coffins were exhumed and then you find out, oh, yeah, they weren't dead. Because there were scratches <laughs> on the lid of the coffin. Yes. Can you imagine that? Yes. So scary. That would be terrifying. Okay. I know this is in like your story, but right. Like, have you heard um, that there's this advertisement for the crematoriums over in Wuhan? They're trying to get workers to work there who aren't afraid of ghosts and demons. When you're cremating the bodies, the air escapes or something. And so it sounds like a demon or they're screaming as they're getting (laughs) cremated. And so, you know, they had to put this out on the literature that it's actually not, you know, that you know, that they're burning these people alive. It really is just the air escaping and they still don't believe it because they're superstitious. And so they think it's these ghosts or demons. I just, the idea of that alone would make me not be able to work there because even though I may logically know that it's not that right, I'm still going to feel like that's what it is. And you still still don't want to hear that. Yeah, of course not. Anyway, I'm sorry. It's kind of morbid, but I was thinking about that when you were saying, no, that's super creepy. No, Ugh. no. Blech. Yeah. The next one is Georges Rodenbach. Rodenbach was a highly celebrated Belgian poet and writer. His gravestone is in the Pierre Lachaise Cemetery in Paris, and it is really creepy. It's the type of tomb that if you didn't know it was there, and I'm sure plenty of people don't, and you're walking through that grave, um, that graveyard at night, and you came across it, you would be like, what the fuck? Because I think it's supposed to represent his spirit of strength and his legacy, but it actually just shows a creepy blue man climbing out of his own tomb. He's literally pushing off the tomb Is that supposed to be him? Yes. He's literally pushing off the tomb lid and he's crawling the fuck out of his eternal resting place. Look at that. What? Why on God's green earth would you want that? To be your memorial, like that is just weird as fuck. You know, actually looking at it, you can't tell whether or not he's <laughs> coming out or getting in. <laughs> like, yeah. Kind of looks like he's getting in yeah. bed. Like, he might be like, like, you know what? <laughs> he looks like he's a zombie who's giving you out to suck your blood or whatever zombies do. And he, your brain's like And that. he must like have been embalmed because that's why he's blue now. <laughs> You know, the statue's blue. Yeah, and he's not decomposing the way you would normally think he should. Right. But here's the other thing that's kind of interesting is that Jules Verne's grave, which is also in France, is very similar. Look at that. 
Oh, maybe he was a big fan of Jules Verne. Maybe. And he just wanted to, you know. Be like Jules? But here's be the like thing. Jules. Jules is a lot more buff. So he's been working out in the he's afterlife. He's got the chisel. Because he's got a lot more, he's a little muscles. heavier than the other dude, George's. So I don't really know. He almost looks like, you know, he's Christ-like in this. But anyway, those are a couple of weird tombstones. So then here's another interesting one. I've got two left. And then we're good. This one is Mary J. McCune or Martha J. McEwen. She's buried at the Cedar City Cemetery in Utah. Her tombstone reads, <laughs> it's another long one, so, you know, get comfortable. Bitten by rabid coyote, developed rabies. <laughs> developed rabies. <laughs> became violent, was smothered with feather bed. When husband returned, <laughs> she and her unborn child were dead and buried. <laughs> what? So the... The, she was murdered by her husband? So, apparently Mary and her husband, James Farrer, got married and moved to Cedar City, Utah. James had to leave for work, so Mary's friend Margaret stayed with her while she, he was away. One morning, Margaret and Mary found a coyote in the chicken coop. They tried to shoot the coyote out of the coop, but it lunged at Mary and bit her on the throat. Margaret got her father, and he pulled the coyote off of Mary and killed it. They thought that Mary was going to be okay, but not soon after, she started to show signs of rabies. She became violent, and she tried to bite people, <laughs> which I didn't know was a thing if you had rabies, but apparently it is. No, no, that, yeah, you become just out of control. Yeah, crazy. Yep. So the townspeople ultimately had her strapped down to a floor so she wouldn't hurt anyone. It is not certain if she died from the rabies or, as her tombstone reads, someone smothered her with a feather bed. <laughs> Like, they that have a horrible. rabid woman, she's strapped to the floor, and they're like, you know what she needs? Let's just move the feather bed over on top of her, and just forget that she's there. Eventually, she'll be quiet, and she'll go to sleep, and we won't have to deal with this anymore. It's like some of these tombstones, they do the cause of death on the tombstone. Yes. It's like their official yes. death report. And I'm glad you said that, because it's the perfect segue into the last one, because it is exactly what you just said. And it's done in an epic fashion. The last one is for Italiano Lacomelli, obviously an Italian boy. So Italiano was a five-year-old boy who was living in Genova, Italy in 1925. He was living with his father because his mother had died in childbirth. One day, Italiano took his hoop, you know, those big hoops that used to play with. He took it down to a the hula village hoop? to play. No, it was like a... You know those big circles and they use a stick to twirl it and they roll it down the hills like a really old-fashioned toy. I don't know what they're actually called. I just think it's called a hoop. Sure. I don't know. We're going to call it a hoop. It works. He took his hoop down to the village to play. But he was just being a kid and he wasn't looking where he was going and he knocked into a strange man. The man did not like this apparently. So he decided to pick up little Italiano and drop him over a 15-meter wall which is roughly four and a half to five stories in American math. Wow. Yeah. That guy did not like kids. No, he did not. So the townspeople stopped the man and beat him up. Both he and Italiano were hospitalized at the same hospital. However, the man recovered from his injuries, but Italiano did not. Um, and it was suggested that the man was showing signs of mental instability, so that may be the reason for this crime. But for whatever the reason, Italiano's father decided to pay homage to his son by creating the super creepiest tombstone that I think I've ever seen. In the monumental cemetery of Stagolano in Genova is a tomb for little Italiano. It shows a statue of a boy playing with his hoop. He has his back to the head of the tomb, but behind him are two creepy hands coming out from the head of the tomb towards him as if getting ready to grab him. Ew. So basically this tomb is recreating the last moments of poor little Italiano's life. 
And I have um, that photo too. Oh, that's horrifying. <laughs> right? That's absolutely horrifying. Oh my God. Right? Yeah. yeah that's you guys horrible. have to see these pictures. You have to look it up. You have to see them because they I are. I will try so, and post some of them. You should definitely post some. They are so weird and so creepy. Some of them are more funny than creepy. Yeah. But they all have a creep factor to them. So that Italiano Locomelli one is by far, like to me, the grand finale of all these creepy tombstones because. Why on earth would you make this living shrine to your son with his death in the for, like in the background of his happiness? Yeah. Like talk about recreating his death state. Like it's just the weirdest thing ever. You know, people back then, I think they just had a different uh, view of death. They like, sure did. I know my mother would keep a photo album of all the tombs of our relatives. Oh, really? And I know some people thought that was strange. And also... Back in the day, when people died, they would pose them all together for a final family photograph. I know. That was a thing. They would take pictures of dead people all the time. With their eyes open. Yeah. Um, I I just, yeah, those are things that, thank God, we've moved away from. Right. Yes. But I love that story. And it's so strange, too, because I came across this funny picture of this tombstone. And I didn't know if it was real or not. I didn't research it. But it said... um, I told you I was sick, damn you. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that when I was Did you see that one? I, sure I laughed I so I hard. I laughed so hard. It was just like, that is some poor lady who nobody believed she was sick. That's and great. That's yeah. the best, like, like I'm going to have the last laugh situation. Yeah. <laughs> I told you. You didn't believe me. And yeah. here I am. Who's the sucker now? Oh, I guess it's still me because I'm the one that's dead. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Holly. Super Thanks, creepy. Carol. And you know what? It's unique. I, don't, I think, you know, a lot of times we hear the common ghost stories being told. Yeah. Uh, we, all, we all know like the big ones. And as much as I love vampires <laughs> and would love to hear about that. Don't worry. That one's coming later. <laughs> I, I do like your rabbit chase down the. I kind of thought it was it fun was really cool. and it was different and it wasn't something that would have occurred to me to do. But because when I looked up Nellie Vaughn's gravestone, it showed the Georges one. And I was like, what the hell is that? And all of a sudden I was like finding all this other stuff and I'm like oh obviously the universe is directing me in a different direction so that's what I did what do you have for us tonight well you know it is time we talk about the big elephant in the room okay and it's mainly associated with the pacific northwest particularly oregon Mm. do you know what I'm talking about um uh stumptown coffee no. <laughs> Pal's books. Okay, never mind. Bigfoot. <laughs> Bigfoot? Yeah. I had drinks with him last night. Oh, He's a awesome. great guy. Yeah. Yeah, was he hairy and yes, just... Yes, he was and tall and, and strong. I, I know yeah. you love the stinky type, I sure so <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it was a great date. <laughs> He's he's a lot more handsome than people think he is. I mean, up close. <laughs> Well, some of our listeners might be puzzled why I consider Bigfoot even a phantom. But there are arguments out there, Holly, supporting this legendary creature as having supernatural powers. Oh, yeah, he does. Or attributes, He's which I'm going to discuss <laughs> in today's episode. Okay. So Bigfoot is also known out here as Sasquatch. So, you know, those two are kind of interchangeable. And the historical record of Bigfoot in Oregon begins in 1904 with sightings of a hairy wild man, which could have been your date. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) They're all over the place here. Yeah, they are. Uh, By settlers in the Sixes River area in the Coast Range. And similar accounts by miners and hunters followed in later decades. 
Back in 1924, an incident took place in a narrow gorge on the east side of Mount St. Helens. Several gold prospectors told newspaper reporters about how they came across a group of seven-foot or eight-foot-tall hairy men that tossed boulders at them. Oh. Yeah, and the gorge is now called Ape Canyon. The local Native Americans used this public event uh, when it came out and was reported to announce their own knowledge of the Sasquatch. So there's always this familiar question asked, uh-huh, if Bigfoot is real, then why haven't we found any, right? Everybody's asking right. that question. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, some Bigfoot enthusiasts say that scientists are still discovering many new species, and they give an example of, like, these small hobbit-like creatures found on the island of Flores um, just only, like, 20 years ago. So they're finding new species hmm. all the time. Where's the island of Flores? I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> um, it's south of Atlantis. Some people think Bigfoot or the Sasquatch are actually paranormal interdimensional creatures, and they point to the coincidence of UFO sightings in the same area and time frame as Bigfoot reports. Hmm. There's also orbs in pictures of those grainy, fuzzy, you know, shots that people take. You know, a lot of people are wondering maybe they're connected. There have also been, though, physical evidence that point to it being an actual biological creature. Mm -hmm. um, they've collected many castings of footprints, mm -hmm. some up to 24 inches in length, so really huge. Can't Isn't there a scat? Don't they find big fat scat out there <laughs> in the world, in the woods? <laughs> and there's hair samples, which closely resemble ape hair, and many audio samples of weird vocalizations from an unknown creature that hasn't yet been identified. God dang it. I knew I shouldn't do my vocal exercises out in the woods for choir. <laughs> I knew that would come back to haunt me. Um, Carol's out in the woods. I think they will figure it out. It's me eventually. Mm. But one of the most compelling pieces of vocal evidence is from a recording that's now called the Sierra Sounds. Hmm. And you can actually see them on, or, you know, listen to it online. Of course, there's also many, many thousands of eyewitness reports. As a matter of fact, Holly. Yes, Carol? I think I've had my own sighting of Bigfoot. Really? Yeah. When? Where? So, How? okay. So this happened, I think it was back in June of 2008. Okay. My husband and I, we were driving our daughter on the way to, um, she had ski camp at Mount Hood okay. one summer. Uh -huh. And mm -hmm. in Oregon on Mount Hood, they have snow year round. So you can ski literally round all months of the year. So anyway, we got stuck in traffic jam about a half hour from the ski school. Mm -hmm. And I was just zoning out the window into the woods when all of a sudden I saw this huge hairy thing. It was running so fast that my brain couldn't comprehend what I was seeing. It was literally just like how they say, mm -hmm. is it a bird? Is it a plane? <laughs> but in like 10 seconds, my mind had switched from, okay, wait, that's a horse. No, it's on two legs. A very large, tall man. No, wait, super hairy with a, no, it's a bear. No, no way, 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 way. Too fast. <laughs> Too tall. Holy shit, it's Bigfoot. And then like that, it was gone. You know, did I he have a t-shirt on? Was he did he have a beer in his hand? No. But I, I tried to alert everyone in the car, but by the time they looked, of course, it had vanished completely sure. out of sight. Yeah. So the whole thing literally was over in like 10 seconds. Right. And the thing is, Holly, I was so astonished by how something that huge could navigate the thick woods running that fast. I mean, there were dense trees everywhere, uh -huh. and it was just a blur as huh. it ran. I have that heard, might have, yeah. 
I've heard a theory that Bigfoot, the reason they can never actually definitively catch Bigfoot is that he has the ability to find wormholes that transport him to different dimensions. Because why haven't we been able to actually find one? Like if we have all this evidence that he exists, yeah. but not like a body, why well, can't we find one? That's I might have I a couple more theories for you here okay. later on. Let's lay them on me. But, you know, the fact that he runs so fast might explain all the fuzzy pics, you know. Because he's so fast that people cannot catch him. Right. He's that talented. Yeah, he's the next Olympian. We just, <laughs> we just didn't realize. That. We had no idea. So the Pacific Northwest tribes say Bigfoot creatures are unable to speak human languages. They say that they use whistles, grunts, and gestures to communicate with each other. Like an ape man would. Yeah, like sounds to me man. like what I hear on a normal day around the Mac train. <laughs> so, you know. In some so he is one of us. <laughs> he is one of us. In some stories, the males are said to be able to mate with human women. And in some Native American stories, Bigfoot may also, uh, they say, have supernatural powers. The ability to turn invisible, for example, hmm. and they consider them, though, also physical creatures of the forest. So not spirits or ghosts. But actual tangible creatures. Mm -hmm, that have just supernatural powers. They do say Bigfoot prefers isolation caves and forests away from human population. I do so, too. Yeah. <laughs> so you see, Oregon and the Pacific Northwest in general would be perfect for its habitation. Mm -hmm. Other Indian tribes from outside the Northwest say they are malevolent creatures who attack humans, eat and steal children, and engage in warfare with neighboring tribes. So their interpretation is that he's just this fearsome creature. And Coin News recently reported that a ridiculous number of people in Oregon go missing every year. Oh, really? Um, there oh. are hundreds of people reported, many of them children, and most wow. are never solved. What? So have you heard of the missing 411, Holly? Yeah, I sure have. So yeah. supposedly it is, of all these unusual reports of missing people, especially children, happening in our national forests. Well, Anyhow, disturbing. My goodness. Yeah. Author David... Paulides, and uh -huh. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, mm -hmm. but he has been researching this phenomenon and has researched and listed all these incidents in several books. He's dedicated to proving the existence of Bigfoot, who he thinks might be responsible for all these disappearances. So he thinks Bigfoot's out there doing yeah, this. Yeah, he does. That's one theory he thinks. Huh. The author has mapped out more than 30 clusters in forests and national parks where these disappearances happen, and coincidentally, Holly, a lot are where Bigfoot sightings are reported. <laughs> so it makes you wonder. So we should put this on the website so people know where not to go when they're out yeah. in the forest. And also not where to camp, because like, yeah. you know, that would kind of put a big damper on your day if no you thought, kidding. you know, you're sitting around the fire, you know, roasting a marshmallow, <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> And you can't come back to eat it. You just because get snatched Bigfoot up. Bigfoot is like, I want one of those. And you're that's like, oh, right. my God, you're Bigfoot. And he's like, oh, my God, you're dead. Yes. That's right. Yes. And your camping experience goes to hell. Yeah, that would be terrifying. I wouldn't like that at all. And I want a s'more, which I can certainly make in the comfort of my own home. So why wouldn't I do that? You could do that. It's low risk. You know, we have reenacted everything we need right here. Yeah, Including the lights with the flashlights and everything. Yeah. It can we happen. We to make a fire right here in the middle of Josh's living room. Josh, do you have marshmallows and graham crackers and chocolate? I found a good story to share with you. Oh, good. And this was on the Pacific Crest Trail back, it was a while ago, back on November 1st of 1978. PCT in the house. This, <laughs> this guy, Larry, 
recalls hiking with his friend and having a creeped out feeling of being watched. He said they stumbled upon an area that looked like a bed down area for deer. Mm-hmm. And there were hundreds of pulled up young fern shoots spread across the area, as well as dozens of small piles of a green gelatin matter that had strands of darker greens running through them. That's weird. It's like my spinach shakes in the morning, it sounds like. Or maybe that's your scat. Maybe that's mm, scat. That I don't think the Bigfoot scat is supposed to be green. Okay. Veins of things running through it. Well, I love his description of it. The smell was so powerful, he mm. states, it nearly knocked him off his feet. And this is his quote. The smell was like a wet, dirty dog that had just rolled in cow shit and rotting garbage and was sitting on my face. It seemed to permeate off the ground like a sulfuric gas. Oh, my God. Well, he probably just ran into a hot spring or something. <laughs> anyway, I guess this is a very common report that, you know, he smells awful. These big Bigfoot, you know, creatures just are very stinky. He bathes in the lakes a lot, though, for cleanliness. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I hear. <laughs> well, he and the bandage man may be friends. Yeah, we don't know. Be. They both stink. Yeah. Anyway, he said they were frozen in fear when they heard the snapping, cracking noise from the thick surrounding trees. So crack, they started crack. to hike out of there as snap, quick as snap. they could. Crack, crack. And uh, he said after a good hour of hearing it following them, they tried to slow down their pace. But then when they slowed down, the creatures would slow down. So they definitely felt like there was more than one creature following them, hmm. but they couldn't see them. So they thought it was a pack of Bigfoots. Yeah, more than one. Hmm. So they said that... A murder? Is that a murder of Bigfoot? <laughs> I don't know. There, there was a part, he said, where the trail widened for a bit, and it came up alongside of us. So he said when he went to go look over to him, all he saw was the head and shoulders of the creature, and it, pe- it appeared to him to be about two or three feet above the tops of the tree stumps. And he realized, okay, it's starting to get dark. We have nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And as far as he knew, the closest road or house was still 15 miles away. Oh, great. So that's when at that moment where you just are like, oh, shit. I'm going to die But now. this guy clearly thinks he's a hero because he says, I transcended my fear and began to look for a flat place to pitch my tent. Now, I could say something right here, but I won't. I'll refrain I, myself. I bet you his tent was already pitched. That's just my thought. Well, he was with a female friend. There so. you go. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, Larry. Josh, take that out. Sorry, Larry. Back to the story. Luckily, he said, we found a place just big enough to camp. Without saying any words, we put it up and quickly got inside. We'd barely spoken since the ordeal began. And then our eyes locked and she reached for me. And, and we, we just all about Bigfoot outside. Yes, and we just laid there side by side. <laughs> Naked. Wondering, in the, in the wondering who was going to make wait, the first move. Wait, what podcast are we doing? I forgot. <laughs> so we just laid there side by side, both white as ghosts, with our eyes bugging out in complete silence. I'm trying to visualize this. The terror, right? Anyway, the silence... I'm trying to visualize it too, just the other part. Not the, <laughs> the, the silence was soon broken by approaching footsteps. As it approached closer and closer, I started to experience a phenomena that I had felt earlier. Whenever the creature had gotten close, it was as if a laser beam was being fired through my body, coming through the creature and passing through me. Well, that's weird. Yeah. He said the creatures kept circling the tent and the pulsing beam would intensify and felt like a bass drum sensation passing through our bodies. 
We both just laid there all night long, petrified of what would happen next. That sounds like so, alien shit. Doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, so it I'm totally getting does. I'm getting more yeah. into some theories. So yeah. after about 10 hours or so, as dawn approached, we could tell that the creatures were becoming more distant. So we quickly packed up and got gone out of their home. <laughs> so now, Holly, so there's also a group of people out there that think Bigfoot's behavior actually represents a demon instead. Um, Because there's a number of reports where people have said they've shot at Bigfoot Uh uh, with rifles to no avail. And you know that when you shoot with a rifle, it it just is so powerful, it blows a hole in anything, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So one lady fired a shotgun point blank into the chest of one, and it disappeared right in front of her in a blinding flash of light. Huh. So she she just saw him like disappear. He just like he just poof gone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe and they're a projection of something. So Bigfoot researchers report also that Bigfoot has this tendency for communicating with wood knocking and rock throwing, and this is the <laughs> I communicate that you know way too. And, and boulder throwing, which awesome. is the exact same phenomenon that we see. In haunted houses. Oh, right. You know, where sure, spirits knocking. are mm-hmm. throwing boulders yeah. and Yeah. If you're a boy, give me one knock. If you're a girl, give me two. Right. Yeah, yeah. And demon spirits, you know, they levitate things. And some say they think Bigfoot has communicated through telepathic thoughts. And he instills fear. He has a horrible odor that demons have. Yeah. Something that is, you know, also of interest is that dogs are terrified mm. of them. Yep. And he has an unholy interest in women and children, supposedly. <laughs> well, I'm sold. He's cre- clearly evil. He's a clearly yeah. evil entity. So have you heard of the Nephilim? No. So there's a story in the Bible, Genesis, and it report it's reported the Nephilim are fallen angels who mated with human women and they created a race that has supernatural powers. And they're described in some of these writings as being extremely tall, uh-huh. unnaturally strong, but also very evil and perverted. So they said that they were warlike and uncontrollable and they lived in the wild. Actually, according to Jewish apocryphal writings, um, they also had a propensity for sex with animals. So you're saying that barefoot, a Bigfoot is like a... A uh, sex predator, essentially, is what you're saying. He's um, like your, my creepy uncle or something like that. Or your cousin Harry. <laughs> my cousin Harry. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I never ever thought Bigfoot to be anything other than perhaps a lost ape from the zoo or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after my experience, I can honestly say there is nothing that can run like that through a forest that's that big and gracefully navigate through everything. It's just not possible. I ran across another account from a Charles Gallup who posted his encounter with Bigfoot, and he was only about 15 at the time, but I really like his story because his sighting also took place east of Mount Hood just off Highway 30. Cool. And he said that he witnessed the speed and graceful running of what he thinks now to be Bigfoot, and he just said, you know, it was not humanly possible to him. Wow. Just like you. Yep. Just like me. Huh. I'd like to meet him, actually. Yeah. Hey, Charles, if you're out there. <laughs> <laughs> Send us an email at firesidephantoms at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> we want to hear about your experience. Or Carol's home address is. So I feel safe. <laughs> oh, no. So I feel sane. I already sane feel or safe. safe. <laughs> I already feel safe. I just want to feel sane. <laughs> also, um, there's a great book I came across. Well, I'm going to say awesome. 
written by Joe Bielart called The Oregon Bigfoot Highway. Oh, cool. And no, I haven't read it, but I know it's awesome. Do you know why? Why? Because listen to these chapter headings. Yes. The Great Rooster Experiment. <laughs> the Mother of All Turds. <laughs> See, scat. Yep. Two Dozen Empty Camera Clicks. The Exploded Outhouse. Okay. Running Naked in Wildfire Smoke. Uh-huh. Bigfoot Watches a Tire Change. Okay. And Rock Market Licked Rocks and Mr. Grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> We got to get that guy on, and then, of course, the guy who wrote The Haunted Vagina, and we got to start our book club with all this interesting information. So if you're ever out in Oregon, you know, we can't promise you'll see Bigfoot, but you can come to the annual Sasquatch Music Festival, because yes, you you'll can. see some hairy men there, and it'll be fun. So I had an interesting experience where... It's funny because um, this this friend of mine came up to me and she's like, you know, I've got something for your witching hour. Oh, yeah? And I was like, great, you know, tell me all about it. And she yeah. goes, well, I want to um, hex you and Holly. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And she goes, yeah, I'm, I'm hexing both of you on the witching hour. And uh -oh. I said, I don't think that's how this is supposed to work. <laughs> no, we're not the ones to be hexed. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's and bullshit. And why, why would you want to hex us? We are amazing people, We're you your guys. friends. We bring you the best, scariest stories you could ever Ex wish to hear. Exactly. Well, she said she made the mistake of going to our website uh -huh. and looking at Robert the Doll. Oh. And she said ever since, her life has been just- Turned turn to hell. Drama. She <laughs> says nonstop drama. Nothing's gone right, and she blames us. She well, should she blames blame you. Ro she should blame Robert the I doll. I told you not to post that You picture. know what? I posted it, and my life has been great. All right. Well, anyway, we're sorry, and please she don't hex us. She needs to write a letter us. to Robert the doll saying she's sorry she looked at the photo. <laughs> and so I'm rethinking this whole thing. I just think, you know, yeah, if no. we're going to get hexed, like, no. No, no, I don't so, want to be hexed. So, guys, you know, hex other people. It. Don't We're hex done. us. We're done with this. <laughs> We're done. Bye bye. <laughs> the last one is for Italiano Lacomelli, obviously an Italian boy. He was a. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the first name gave it away. I don't know. <laughs> he suffered from a mental illness in which he claimed he had been. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Carol. This is going to make you laugh. He said the creatures kept circling the tent and the pulsing beam would intensify and it felt like a brass, or not a brass bell, but a bass drum. <laughs> I read that completely wrong. <laughs> Let's go with it. Let's go with it. It's fine. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I put my own interpretation on things and I don't know where brass bell came in. East of Mount Hood, just off Highway 30th. Huh. And he said when he was young, you know, he um, was just so, sitting on a log. I think he said Highway 30th. Yeah, oh, you did. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't I, yeah, you did. I'll just, yeah, it'll be, it'll be hard to cut off. <laughs> the 30th of Highway, I think is what you should say. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> just kidding. What should I say? Just Highway just 30. Highway 30. <laughs> You ended up, you put a TH at the end. Like it was having a, like it's a birthday. It's written, yeah. it's written with uh -huh. a TH. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. 
If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode.